This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Most of us are familiar with the story of Thanksgiving. In 1620, a ship called the Mayflower traveled from Plymouth, England to the New World in search of religious separation and a fresh start. Then in 1621, they enjoyed a bountiful meal after the harvest with the Wampanoag tribe, expressing their gratitude for helping them learn to survive in their new home. Many of us might believe that this was actually the first interaction between European settlers and the indigenous people who lived in what is now America. But long before the pilgrims set foot on Plymouth Rock, there was an explorer who walked the Arizona land and interacted with its people. Welcome to Valley 101, an Arizona Republic and AZ Central podcast where we answer your questions about Metro Phoenix. I'm producer Amanda Luberto, and in this week's episode, I'll share with you the story of the Franciscan friar, Marcos Deniza. Similar to the pilgrims on the Mayflower, Fray Marcos traveled from Europe to the New World for religious purposes. But while the English came in hopes of separating church and state, Fray Marcos came to convert the indigenous. Pope Julius had given the Spanish monarchs uh, the privilege of converting people in the New World to Christianity. And so he came uh, with others, with the full authority of uh, the Pope and the Crown, to the New World with the Spanish conquistadors. That is Dr. Denise Seymour. She's an independent researcher, an archaeologist, and an ethno-historian. She has been described as the Sherlock Holmes of history, or the Perry Mason of archaeology. She told me that she defined the Otham, Hokome, and Chiricahua Apache tribes archaeologically for the first time, so their impact and history can now be seen in archaeological records. On top of all of that, she's been studying the Coronado expedition for years. She told me that to archaeologists, this was like the holy grail, because it's been a big mystery for such a long time. And as if that wasn't enough, she recently identified the first ever Coronado sites in Arizona, which she'll be giving a public talk on in January 2022. Free Marcos, Deniza was on the Coronado expedition. So let's start at the beginning. He came to the Americas in 1531 with a purpose to religiously convert the natives to Christianity. He traveled with the Spanish conquistadors to modern-day Peru and up to modern-day Guatemala. What he witnessed there was the brutal behavior of the conquistadors. As a result, he commented about it to some of his uh, fellow uh, religious professionals, and some of his experiences were those that ended up in Bartolome de las Casas' volume. that and his other work uh, were instrumental in changing the way that the church and crown acted in the New World and the way that crown required non 
religious personnel, meaning the conquistadors and so on, to act towards the natives. His observations of the conquistadors' cruelty affected how the crown and the church acted towards natives in the New World. He was with the expedition led by Pizarro in Peru, and that was against the Inca. And, you know, uh, with all the riches and everything that they encountered and all the cultural destruction and so on. And that's really uh, why, one of the impetuses for the trip to the north uh, by Viceroy Mendoza, Antonio de Mendoza, is the idea was that if there were such riches and high cultures in, the, in South America and Central America, that perhaps that was here as well. Viceroy Antonio Mendoza called on Marcos de Niza to lead an expedition in search of the lost cities of Cibola. But Fray Marcos was not the Viceroy's first choice. Cabeza de Vaca uh, was actually probably the first uh, European, he and his companions, to enter near or in this portion of the Southwest. And of course, they were part of the shipwreck that occurred in Florida and took eight years uh, for uh, to get across from Florida to, back to New Spain uh, and Mexico City and so on. And uh, there were four survivors that were part of that Cabeza de Vaca trip. And one of those was Blackmore Esteban, Esteban de Dorantes. And he was a, a slave at the time. And when they got back, uh, the Viceroy wanted members of that expedition who'd heard about Cibola and a, a range of stories about the northern areas to lead an expedition to the north. And all of them decided they didn't want to do that. But uh, the Viceroy was able to enlist the help of Esteban, the slave. He uh, went with Marcos de Niza. Since none of these other survivors who were Spaniards wanted to lead the expedition. After his ship wrecked in Florida, Spanish explorer Alvar Nunez Cabeza de Vaca reported having seen Cibola and its great riches while he was traveling through modern-day Texas. A slave on Cabeza de Vaca's ship named Esteban de Dorantes was used as a guide for Fray Marcos. He also was really good at language and so on. And he, frankly, despite the fact that Fray Marcos gets the credit for it, really Esteban was the first one uh, to head north along the trails. He was the one to first interact with the natives in the area, as far as we know. And he actually got to Cibola or Zuni. Denis did tell me that there is some debate within historians as to why Marcos Deniza was actually sent north. Some believe it was because of this, to search for the seven cities of gold. But some believe something else. The story is that, you know, they were after gold, the seven cities of gold. And it is true. I believe that the documents say that Marcos Deniza's instructions that he received from the Viceroy say that he was to look for riches. He brought gold and other things, including pearls, with him to show natives and say, you know, where did you, you know, have you seen this and so on? And this is what you're talking about. But there's also um, a strong argument that another reason that they came up this way is they were looking for a route to Asia where they could trade and set up markets and so on. Personally, for Fray Marcos Deniza, his mission was to spread Christianity. The Spanish monarchy and the Pope had paid for his exploration to the New World for that reason. As he continued north, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, Fray Marcos claimed to have set eyes on the wondrous land of gold and riches. This confirmed Cabeza de Vaca's story from before, 
What he didn't share is that he had only seen the riches from a distance and was assured that Sibylla's existence was real from a native informant. This overstated message of wealth got back to Francisco Vasquez de Coronado and inspired his famous expedition in search of the seven golden cities of Sibula. We know now that the golden cities are a myth, and what Francisco de Coronado found instead were small native communities. After finding no riches, he and his men continued north on other explorations. During one of these adventures, a member of the Coronado expedition arrived at the Hopi Mesas, according to the National Park Services. These men were guided by Hopi members to quote, a great river, and are credited with being the first Europeans to see the Grand Canyon. That's gotta count for something. Based on archeological investigations that Denis has done, Fray Marcos interacted with three main tribes on his journey up to what is now modern day Arizona and New Mexico. He interacted uh, mostly with the Otham, uh, the probably a variety of Otham, and most intensively, I think, with the Savipri Otham because they were along the rivers. But he also, as, as they went east and northeast, they interacted with the ancestral Chiricahua Apache and also with the Hakome, which were another uh, mobile group who occupied southeastern Arizona and elsewhere, um, west, southwestern New Mexico and so on. Mostly, Fray Marcos would have encountered the Otham tribe. But by tracing the Coronado expedition, Denis and other historians were able to pinpoint these other tribes with whom they interacted. Based on her research, including a document of Fray Marcos, she believed he treated the indigenous peoples differently than other explorers from Spain had done before him. But Marcos, I think, was attempting to make up for the atrocities that he saw experienced in more southern regions and in Central and South America. And also, I think he was trying to set a foundation for better interactions in the North. I think he had a good heart. And the thing you have to remember at the time is that they had a very different mindset than we have now. He was so religious. He was so, you know, focused on the fact that everybody had to be converted or, you know, they'd go to hell. But he had a, a utopian view of the world. And so basically, if you look at it in the context of how he was perceiving all of this, then his actions make sense. So he was trying to correct past wrongs, and he also had this vision that was shared by others uh, at the time within his order about how the world could be if only people who they encountered in this area were converted. There are a few sections of Fray Marco's document that Denis thinks shows his real character, including a passage where he's trying to convey the importance he puts on being truthful to the indigenous peoples. He also said that uh, another example, the natives had given him a, an abundance of game, wild game and corn, turquoise and hides and a whole range of other things. And he says, this is a quote, I took none of this because I had made it a habit of behaving this way once I entered the land where the natives had not heard of the Europeans. So basically what he's trying to do is even though it probably would have been an insult to many of the natives who he encountered for not accepting the gifts, he was very firm in his beliefs. And his beliefs based on his 
upbringing and his experience further south was that he didn't want to exploit the natives. Okay, now that may have been very inappropriate within the context of uh, you know local culture and so on, but that shows you that he was principled and some of the ways in which he was principled, or at least that he's telling us he was principled. One thing to note here is that these documents are by Marcos de Niza, from his perspective only. We don't have a full picture on the situation, but history shows that the relationship seemed positive. Because he was interacting with them, sitting down with them, talking to them, uh, being friendly to them, he not only brought natives with him as porters and so on as guides, but local natives who he encountered wanted to guide him along the way. And they actually went ahead into these unpopulated areas and set up shelters for him and brought food and left him at a day's journey in each of these places. So the, the issue here is he was accepting certain forms of help and hospitality because he was living off the land, meaning living off the natives, uh, and he was taking their help in terms of them showing the routes, protecting him, providing things that he needed and so on. And so he did accept that, but that also tells you that his relationship with them was positive enough early on that they were willing to do that. And Denis connected all of this to the day of abundance and thanks that most of us will celebrate this Thanksgiving. If we're thinking about what Thanksgiving represents, really, it's about being grateful. And, you know, the thing about natives in the Southwest, there's this etiquette that exists and did exist that is exhibited and conveyed in the historic documents about how the natives, how they treated newcomers, travelers, and so on. And there's a visiting protocol. There's a visiting etiquette where the hosts provide help travelers across rivers, carried supplies, imparted information, provided knowledgeable guides. She says they showed them trails, provided them food, welcomed newcomers into their villages, and generally showed hospitality to visitors. This was customary. So the idea of a Thanksgiving for something that was practiced by people throughout the world and natives throughout America, and in particular here in the Southwest, it kind of misses the point. But don't forget that it is important to show gratitude for people to help you. So that's how the first Thanksgiving, official Thanksgiving occurred, is that they were thanking the natives for helping them through hard times and allowing them to survive there in Plymouth. So in a way, it would be better if we called Thanksgiving, you know, Hospitality Day. She says a change like that would more properly convey Native behaviors to the Americans. So if Fray Marcos Deniza and the other explorers of the Coronado expedition were interacting with and learning from the native peoples almost a whole century before the pilgrims arrived on the Mayflower, how did the people at Plymouth Rock become the story we all know? I think there's a variety of reasons for it. First of all, the first Thanksgiving, if you want to call it that, was in the 1620s. So, so basically the governor of the Plymouth Colony decided to thank the natives, to show gratitude for a, a nice harvest, 
and also to thank the natives for helping them. So it was something that he did within his colony, and it was probably you know uh, a local thing to begin with, and then it spread throughout the colonies. Well, keep in mind that these were all British colonies, and it wasn't for another 200 or so years that the areas that were held by Spain became part of the United States. So in 200 years, that tradition became solidified. The only problem with that is once that history that was British colonial based and East Coast based became solidified, then there was no room for any other narrative to supplement that. And so it becomes a Anglo-Saxon story and it becomes uh, something where it is almost conveyed as something so unique that that the natives were practicing hospitality in a way that nobody else did. And so by formalizing it, it actually became nationalized during the Civil War by Abraham Lincoln. And then that's one reason why we find it so weird, so incongruous, if you want to think about it that way, in here in the Southwest and in the West, because that's not our history. By the time our region became a part of the United States, the United States already had the Thanksgiving holiday. And the story of the Plymouth Colony's interactions with the Wampanoag became the story. Somehow, the Southwest was both first and late to the party. So, there you have it. The story you were taught about the first Thanksgiving is technically true. But it's also not the first time the European explorers came to America and interacted with native tribes. If you would like to learn more, Dr. Denise Seymour is giving two talks about brand new Coronado evidence discovered here in Arizona. They will be hosted at the Tubac Presidio in Tucson in the beginning of 2022. That's it for today, listeners. Feel free to share this episode with a friend and remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us and the other Arizona Republic podcasts like The Gaggle on Twitter at AZC Podcasts. I'm producer Amanda Luberto. Have a safe holiday and maybe think of it as hospitality day when you're sitting around the table this year. Take care. <laughs>